Hi, this is Kirk Thomas with the Dream Warrior Review. I have a very special episode to present to you, and it's not very much work for me other than just doing an introduction. Mick and I were recently on a show called Bonehead Humor, and we weren't just on the show on our own. We were there with Ole Sasson, and if you don't know who that is, you need to look it up, because he was actually the director of the infamous Fantastic Four movie, the Roger Corman version, that was never released. I think the host of the Bonehead Humor Show are amazing, and I like these guys. I'm actually following them personally, so I listen to their show, and I really enjoy it. They don't only just talk about movies, but they talk about a lot of other things that are going on in pop culture and other things. Uh, Joe, James, and Chad, I think they do a great job, and I encourage you to listen, follow them. Of course, follow us and let all your friends know about us. But for now, let's listen to an interesting conversation about the Fantastic Four. So this is Bonehead. Welcome to Bonehead. I'm. I, I'm. Nobody says Salacious your name. Crumb. I'm not. That, <laughs> I'm not that thin. <laughs> Today on our episode, we have He Ollie. might have been fat. compared. He's just compared to Jabba. Let's do our intro for okay. Ollie, Ollie Sasson. So, so, and he is so, so. the director of the Fantastic Four movie that was technically never released. released. If you're a big fan and know the story behind that, there's a documentary on some streaming service. Actually, it's on Amazon. It's called Doomed. 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 It's fascinating. You really should check it out. He's joined with us with his old friend and our old friend of the show, Mick, Mick Strong. And, and Kurt, Kurt Thomas. Thomas. Yeah, Kurt Thomas, but Mick Strawn joins us because he did miniature work on the Fantastic, Fantastic Four. As well as production design. Right. Yep. And his partner, Kurt Thomas, and they're it's basically a joint show between us and Dream, Dream Warrior, Warrior Review. Review which right? Is it's Strong a crossover. Part. Bonehead's not even a year into it, and we're already selling out to cheap crossovers. Yes. Uh, we will cross over with anybody. I I mean I know some other people that watch our show like to watch the Horror Honeys. Have your people call our people. Screw it. I can't talk. Now, the other part about this is we Cross did Cross over. Cross over to the lights. <laughs> Caroline. The other side. Um, Zelda Rubenstein tried for hours to get us to do the crossover. Um, There's four people out there laughing four, yeah. right now. I'm one of them. Um, we did have some brief Haley. audio issues. Uh, that was because of solar flares that bounced off of a satellite and then caused some other issues. And if Jeff Goldblum taught me anything, it's line of sight. See, Chad, frequency modulation. When the satellites, that's the reason we need satellites because it goes straight, right? And you need those satellites to bounce the signal. Amplitude modulation, AM radio, goes with the curvature of the Earth. That way, when you're listening to your AM radio station and you hear thunder and there's lightning and you're that's because it's so effective. if you listen to what he taught me is gina davis is easy i thought earth girls, earth girls are easy taught you that and the fly it's because she bought because he bought her a cheese i uh, <laughs> i disagree i think he taught me that life uh finds a way yeah that is almost as bad as your walking and your walking sir is terrible i don't uh that wasn't an impression i knew I said, bobby kennedy are you trying to give a, a prostate exam is that why you keep doing this little maneuver uh uh, uh, uh the serbian <laughs> anyway <laughs> anyway this, this episode is is different but we will spend most of this episode talking about the fantasy four we go off a little bit but the reason was we had both mick and ole and it just made sense to do that and they're fantastic folks yes. go ahead check it out we'll shut up watch the episode the one thing i will add, oh my god one thing we'll part add of we'll shut halfway up halfway through mm. you'll notice that they start talking to each other and one of the great things about that conversation is you get what the director envisioned versus what actually happened on set so that part is really interesting to and me. the second part of it there's 15 minutes where james doesn't say a damn thing that's most shows enjoy the show Give me these. I want some peanuts. Well, one one hand. Peanuts, Cracker Jacks. I never want to go back. My name's Joe Lewis, and we're here with Bonehead. It is our pleasure to have Ole Sesson with us as well. We also have Mick Strawn, one of our old friends. And Mick, I'm so sorry about your friend. I, I had it written down, and I can't find the paper. What's your name one more time, Kurt sir? Thomas. Kurt Thomas, right? This is Kurt Thomas, yeah. Right. Yes. Kurt Thomas, in our podcast, which is... The Dream Warrior. The Dream Warrior, yeah. 
the Dream Warrior review, he's the one that sounds intelligent. Well, <laughs> we, don't, we don't have one. Of we those. don't have one of those. No. What's that like? <laughs> hey, let me just let me just say real quick. If 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 something happened, we get cut off. Who wants to re, who wants to reinitiate the call? We will. Okay, good enough. We've got it. We're, 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 we're technical morons or something. Yeah. But you know what we did? We that, make it work. We fixed it just like you guys. <laughs> we turned the computer off and turned it back on. Right. Yes. We had to re-sign out of everything and sign back in, but that's that's beside the point. So, Ole, thank you so much for taking your time today. Mick, thank you all so much for uh, introducing us and doing all this. Uh, obviously, we're having our first crossover now with Dream Warrior Review. Yeah. Uh, it's selling out from this point on. You remember the Flintstones had, what was the crossover with the Flintstones and the Jetsons, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, right. Yeah, this is ours. <laughs> you mean Flintstones and Winston cigarettes? <laughs> yeah. Hey, if cigarettes would give us money right now to do this show, <laughs> smoke up, kids. <laughs> the truth is, we like money. <laughs> More than your lungs. <laughs> I saw the I saw the movie for the first time in I don't even want to say I have no idea uh, for the first time in probably twenty five years something like that. Well, let's uh what what we didn't introduce is you know the fact that the reason we have Mick and Oli here is the fact that you both contributed to the unknown the the unreleased Fantastic Four movie. By the way, when I say can, when we say unreleased, can we do quotation marks in the air like that? Unreleased. Yeah, Yes. Unreleased. Yes. Released. Worst <laughs> kept secret of all time, right? Hey, Oli, how does it feel to be the guy who directed the one film that does isn't supposed to exist and yet has sold the most copies? Yeah, it's it's um it's kind of bittersweet actually. Um you know, obviously we would have all loved to have seen the film get released theatrically like it was supposed to but in a in a weird odd way um i, I don't think anybody's going to be talking about the other fantastic Four movies 20 years hence i mean it's, here we are i mean we're still and, and, talking about this freaking movie that we attempted to make back it, it, in 1995 94 94 and, and I mean, you know the one thing i'll say is two me and james are actually big fans of this movie because, for one thing, it's the best Fantastic Four movie made, period. It's not that I'm a big fan. They have yet to let me see a copy. Those two, <laughs> those two are the comic book nerds. I'm not so well, much the, a comic book nerd. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, the, the, the thing that's, that was uh, so disappointing is that, first of all, we never really got an opportunity to do great visual effects, special effects, computer graphics effects. We were doing yeah. them all on the side, on the cheap. Um, we realized that, you know, these guys weren't going to be giving us any more money when we finished the film. And so we had to go out and try to do whatever we could. And we, uh, Mick, I don't know if it was you or maybe it was you that introduced us to Mr. Film, that other company that was in Venice. That No, you know, I, <clears throat> what I did to contribute to that was I went in and reshot, I went in and shot miniatures that I had made in my garage. Right. That, oh, wow. Like the, the guy after, they, look, they look good, brother. <laughs> it was like I knew because I knew that when we walked away, nothing was going to be resolved because uh, it, it, it was already it was already in the middle of a, a mess. And so I figured, well, if I gave you for like the rocket ship and the and the diopter and the satellite and the in the roof of that, at least you would have something. God, <laughs> dude, I. You did a. I've got to tell you, man, that stuff, that stuff. I remember that thing that you you built that was hanging in the in Doctor Doom's lab or wherever it was. All that stuff that you built was just so well done, man. The ship, everything, and stuff done. It was really, you know, but that's the thing. It was, it was like because of those elements, like the stuff that you brought to the table. And, and the guys that built the costumes and built the thing costume and Dr. Doom's costume, that just helped elevate the whole film that, that much more. And, you know, so thank you, brother. <laughs> oh, it, you know, we were just busting. I, I was busting it for you. I thought that you were uh, that you, you were right on. You, you were one of those rare 
rare examples of a director who can direct and think at the same time, which is a very <laughs> rare When you guys are done kissing each other's ass. <laughs> hey, well, you know what? We haven't seen each other's ass in, I don't know, 30 years, so. Well, well you must not subscribe to Mick's website. <laughs> <laughs> You know the the visual effects of that the visual effects of the Fantastic Four. I would like there um, because I watched the documentary Doomed, which by the way, if you haven't seen it, viewers and listeners of this show, it's fantastic. Watch that documentary called Doomed. It's it's fantastic. But speaking of the special and the visual effects, you said um, you had somebody on board doing them, who said that he worked on Independence Day, and then. Oh, wait a minute. I'm, I'm going to cut this off. Yes, sir. <laughs> and I kept talking. Well, he says, you know, I got this guy that, that worked on Independence Day. And I met the guy. And what did I do? I went back to you and I said, that guy is a fraud. And and Oli goes, no, 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 no. he'll be fine. He'll be fine. And all through the filming, the things the guy said, I honestly, he would say, well, we need to set it up this and this and this way. And I would turn over and I go, you know, this guy has no, no idea what he's doing. <laughs> right. He didn't have a clue. Scott Phillips, he didn't have a clue. He was a bullshit artist. Bullshit. But how does, really how does he even get in the door? Well, because we'd like to get in the door. I, yeah, we, do, we need to know the lies to tell. <laughs> I'm telling you, brother, somebody Corman introduced the guy. And, of course, we, we had a, a shoestring budget for, for everything, including the visual effects. And he just talked. He had a, he he had a good he, he talked a good game. He made it sound yeah. like he knew all this incredible technology. And back then, you got to remember, nobody was doing the big computer graphics. Oh, yeah, back then. it was just it was it was in the infancy, and there wasn't much really material or or anything to go Google at the time to to look up computer graphics to see how the stuff was done properly. So it was just kind of like we 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 trusted the guy to come in. He had a he had this big computer thing set up at his house that looked impressive, but it was just all smoke and mirrors, and he just didn't know what the frap he was doing. But hey, at least we got Mr. Film to come in and mix work, and we we did the best we could. Unfortunately, oh, was, yeah. yeah, you know, it, yeah. the thing is, like shoestring budget. If they took out that they that they had a million dollars, it certainly wasn't represented anywhere. <laughs> Even a million dollars represented anywhere, you know? I right. mean, yeah. that place was the worst to work in. And I somehow managed to go through the infancy of my career with never getting over there uh, to con to Constantine's uh, lumberyard slash uh, movie studio. That's Corman. <laughs> That's Roger Corman. Right. Because oh. it was oh. a... That wasn't Constantine. Constantine was the big German production right. company distributor that was roger corman's uh lumberyard venice uh, it was a condemned rat infested barn right oh yeah it was in editing room man the the we, we hung up furniture pad the furniture uh blankets on the walls to try to keep it quiet and to keep it warm in the winter and you can <laughs> you see the the, the the furniture pads moving from the other from the opposite behind it because the rats were running on them <laughs> <laughs> the glory of Hollywood. Yes, I mean honestly. But we, but we did have a we did have a cat. A cat. We had a yeah. cat named Lucy that was in that editing room that would was was diligently catching rats for us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and around there, I remember walking walking around that place. It's like there were always there were soft spots, you know, on the floors because they yeah. they would just lay another layer layer of really thin plywood. Mm -hmm. You know, like, if you put a or something, and so literally you could walk down a hallway and it would look like somebody was approaching you and it would look like they were on a boat or or the way that you uh, walk an airplane. Yeah. You know, where you kind of like from side to side and stuff. <laughs> it's right. It's so terrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a trip, man. But you know what? I, I got to say something, if, and maybe I'm jumping ahead, but. That's fine. I, I recently reconnected with with uh, one of the executives from Constantine Film when I was in Los Angeles for meetings uh, uh, about less than a year ago. I, I stopped in and he graciously had me come up to the office there and 
and met with them. And it was like where it all started. They're still in the same offices on Sunset Boulevard. And he told me because Bernd Eichinger, who was the executive producer, was the producer and owner of Constantine Film, you know, who, who has since passed away. He died. I mean, the guy had a heart attack at the house that he I talked to him at his house at Beverly Hills after the fact. He was at least he was forthcoming and honest enough to say, "Hey, you know, this is what happened. This is why the film's not getting released." But that poor dude had a heart attack and died. And so I'm there talking to the other executive, who is now pretty much head of the company, and he didn't have to tell me this. He came out and said to me that when he and Bernd Eichinger were at Fox and came out of the screening room for the very first uh, Fantastic Four, the big, the first big version that the studio did. He they said, had, "Huh?" They had, they, they had, they using this film, they had concreted the rights to them, right? Yeah, but and but that's why they had to remake our film was to, to was to keep the rights to the movie, right? right, right. Uh, well, excuse me, to keep the rights to the franchise, the Fantastic Four. Otherwise, they would, have, they would have lost the rights to, to do anything with the Fantastic Four had they not made a film by the end of that year that we did the, our film. That was so. So our film was made strictly for uh, the contractual purpose for them to keep the movie rights to the Fantastic Four. But that being said, after they made the first big version at, at Fox, they walked out of the screening room and Bernd Eichinger turned to Robert at, at Constantine and said, Oli's version is better. <laughs> yeah. I went, fucking A. And he didn't have to tell me that. Yeah. And he was so deeply sincere. He wasn't bullshitting me. There's no reason to bullshit me about this. And he was just so sincere. And I thought, I'll be a son of a bitch. I just got a little vindication. We all did. For the work that, and the effort that we made and put into making this film. I mean, for him to turn to that guy, and this is, this is the guy that, and, and he, he also told me some other personal things, and I'm not sure I should talk about them, but. We'd you know, love to they, hear them. <laughs> well, they really, they really wanted to, to, it was like, you know, you have to look at it from their perspective. They are, they were, a, 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 they're a large company, a big fish in a small pond, so to speak, in Germany. Constantine, film is a very big company they do resident evil they do a lot of stuff they've been a distribution company for years they've done plenty over the years they're a very well established company but they were trying to get you know cemented in hollywood back then and here they are with i got a deal with a major studio 20th century fox and that's a big freaking deal man yeah. all of a sudden now you got to deal with the studio so and and hindsight you know he said gee whiz you know we were just trying to do too much to satisfy the relationship but keep the relationship good and satisfy what fox wanted more than what we knew was right for the film and the franchise oh so, yeah you know they were kind of complicit too in this whole demise of the of the new fantastic four films and they, they essentially admitted they just fucked up the franchise you know well honestly i have to say that I really did like, I, I liked, I, I thought, you know, the visual effects uh, could be redone. Uh, and and there were a couple things, but overall, I have to say, really, it has heart, you know, it really does. And if it's any consolation about what people think of yours versus the newer versions, you know, in researching this, a, a bootleg copy of the trailer for your Fantastic Four has over 2 million views. The last wow. Fantastic Four movie, 700,000. Wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. And, I mean, if you go by, and you know, I wish there was a way to measure how many bootleg copies of this was sold. But if you go by YouTube numbers alone, I, I found three different, three different sharings of this movie. One one is like a straight 100, one hour and 30 minute view. The other one is broke up into 10 chunks. And then, then there's another copy out there. Grand total, they equal about 3 million views. Wow. So on I, YouTube alone, there's no way of telling how many bootleg copies have been sold at cons, 
before the YouTube oh. e before YouTube even existed. Right. Oh yeah. Wow. Yeah. No way to track it. No. And, and the reason all that is out there is because only just you know um, he doesn't look like a dog, but he has veins in him for sure. You know because going and going and going with that uh ah, good job man yeah, and, well, here, here's the thing too you know we never got the we never were able to get the negative of the entire film transferred to a, a decent video print back then it was a telecine where they took the actual negative put it on a tele telecine machine and transferred it to video and the the only footage that was transferred properly was just by coincidence you had mentioned this was the trailer the footage in the trailer was the only footage that was that was done with a proper telecine and that kind of gives you a little bit of an insight of what the film really would have looked like yeah um right. because the bootleg copy somebody bootlegged it thank god over at lightning dubs i would imagine but right. they took it from they took it from a three-quarter inch tape and went down to a VHS tape and all the bootlegs are from a VHS tape primarily, not from a three quarter inch or back then it was a one inch video. So it was all just VHS to VHS to VHS and people look at it and they go, man, this movie looks like shit. Well, of course it does because it's gone from VHS to VHS and stepped on and shit on and pissed on. And then, and that's, that's the image you get. Now, had we gotten the telecine different story, but, now you get you get some credit for that for it even being out there, right? Because you somehow got a copy of it, right? Yeah, only uh, you, you, <laughs> being quiet. <laughs> or if you're not allowed to say, we'll, we'll forget. Has it not been 25 years? Ollie? We'll forget that conversation. We'll forget that that statement happened. All right. Well, well, whoever it is, I still say thank you. <laughs> Ahoy, hoy! <laughs> Cheers. But I mean, I mean, you didn't get the fortune and glory. But how does it make you feel now? I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm sure you would like to have had the money, the prestige, the fame. What it would have maybe done for your career, how your career would maybe have been different. But how does it feel now to have the vindication? I, I mean, like I said, I could watch it on your face. It, it when he was telling you the views, it it has to make you feel good, right? At the end of the day, that you're the only one that's even come close to getting. The story, right? Oh, right? yeah. They couldn't yeah. even get the comics right. The three movies that they made, they couldn't even get the fucking comics right. Sorry. Yeah, brother. <laughs> you know what? Here, here's the problem, I think. And I'm, I don't know certain what kind of research and, and what the effort was into the filmmakers, the directors of those films. Look, I know it's hard to just get a job in this, in this business and you do the best you can. But, you know... It, Speaking for, for me and what we did, and I know Mick did, we, we all went down. I went down to the, the Golden uh, Apple on Melrose Avenue and walked in there and bought the hard. They, they had the volumes of all of the Fantastic Four universe and every single comic that was ever published by Marvel in regard to the Fantastic Four was put in hard bound books. So you had volumes one through 10 in a book volumes 10 through 20 so on and so forth and i went and bought all of them and i asked them for comic book number one the first issue the reproduction of comic book number one and i think i bought every one they had in there which was about 12 or 15 of them and i made sure that the the guys and i mick i don't know if you remember this or not but i i, I thought i may have when we had lunch somewhere in culver city or something i i said look here's here's the the number one issue that was published by Marvel. And I said, look, we're not, we don't have a budget. This is what we're going to have to do. And and obviously Mick delivered the goods. But we said, look, we're going to try to make this true true to the number one first issue of the, of the Fantastic Four. And after all, that's the way the script was written. And those guys did a great job with the screenplay, too. I mean, Craig Davies, they wrote a good script. So the, the, the fact being... We all tried to understand and know what that universe was like for the Fantastic Four prior to going out and making a film. Those are established characters. Anybody that has a responsibility to a character that's well-established and known out there by a fan base or by anyone, you have a responsibility to deliver what those characters are. 
And I don't think those guys in the new version of the films did that. No. Hey, let me let me give you a complete contrast to what Oli just said, because that was our dream. And now I'm going to <laughs> we actually landed on the stage, what that was like. <laughs> so we've already discussed how awful the stage was, but then we went out. And let me tell you some of the rules of this company, uh, of Corman's company, going out on location. A, so all the lights, what they did is they would give you, um, and they had they had two of these, which uh, clamp clamps that look like they would that they would start your car with, right? Yeah. And what, remember this. So what you had to do power to run a couple of lights is you had to make a deal with the neighbors <laughs> the two bars sorry you, off, right you you're breaking up a little bit on us Mick. On yeah you guys, you guys hearing him okay no, no we, he's breaking up he on keeps us breaking up on us i can hear ole just fine but i can't i can hear ole just Love fine you. but i can't no? yeah you're still breaking up that's okay keep going <laughs> it's all that fancy equipment is what it is everybody else is on a phone and a laptop <laughs> yeah, more to fail. Yeah. yes so so you would literally be clamping off of the two neighbors houses on either side to get enough amperage to actually run you Much know better. the antique lights that you had right mm -hmm. and so, so then when we got back to the stage we would have situations like um oh I, i'll never forget this we were doing the reshoot. We were doing the shoot miniatures, right? And oh, it was the newspaper spin-in. Do you remember the the newspaper spin-ins? Yeah, like this? yeah. Oh yeah, man, that was cool. Well, you know how I did that. <laughs> I I come in and I say, okay, here's all the newspapers that we need. Here's all the newspaper spin-ins that we need. Here's what we made a rig. So we had a black piece of dubatine, and we put a stick through it, and it's tied to a drill, right? And 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 then I said, so what we need to do is we need to use a reverse bag, right? And they looked at me like I was from another planet, and they said, no, we have to use the equipment that's on the property. We're going to have to use a regular camera. And I said this, I said, that's not a problem. We'll turn the camera upside down. And when I did, everybody stopped and said, well, that's not going to work. And I said, no, no, no. It, it, we'll turn the camera upside down, and then we're going to run the film backwards, right? And and the DP was, because I think I had quite a few years on the DP, and the DP goes, I don't think that that actually works. So I said, well, no, 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 come here. And I went into the editing bay, which was right there on the property, and I said, give me a, give me a piece of film that's exposed, uh, maybe about three feet long. It doesn't matter what it is. And so the editor, one of the editors that was in there was a woman, a beautiful woman, and she hands me this piece of film. And I say, no, now, now, now look, see, here's the film running normally. I went like that. And, and, and he goes, yeah, okay, okay. And then I knew I had him, right? So then I turned it upside down and I went, now go the other way. You see? And he didn't want to admit that, of course, that was utter bullshit, right? I mean, you can't see. You couldn't see a goddamn thing, right? So he, <laughs> takes the film, he takes the film and he goes like this. And then he goes like this. And he goes, oh, yeah, no, I totally get it. And he walks off. Comes to the end of the day and we're about ready to film this. And as as we're we're you know finally getting our final preps up and stuff and doing the newspaper spinning, my art director Tom O'Connor walks up to me and he goes, you know, there's something that's been happening with everybody on this stage today, and I have a feeling that you had something to do with it. And I go, oh what? And he goes, well, everybody keeps walking along around with this three foot piece of film and and waving it. <laughs> <laughs> I said. Yeah, that, that could that could be mine. Yeah, <laughs> but but like for instance, when we when we went to the uh, 
we had to go make a plane crash, right? And I'd made a deal with all kinds of junk and stuff. But the problem is, is they wouldn't let a truck. <laughs> so, so literally, we loaded into our cars and trucks oh and stuff as much God. a bunch that... of stuff as we could in order to actually, you know, get it done. You know, dude, that shit looks so good too, brother. Uh, you had what... man, we, you had brought the sheets out and the yeah, sheets, <laughs> and just enough, man. You spread it out all into that field out there, and it just looked great. Uh, I personally, I liked, I liked the uh, the mole man's uh, lair. I thought that that was really cool. And the miniature to it so that you look down and stuff. Yeah, I thought that that came out really well. And his and the acting that you the acting you got out of him was amazing. Well, he was good. All the actors, I have to say, man, they put their heart and soul in it. I, I can't take credit for the work that they did, man. They I just, you know, just put nudged them a little bit here and there. But all the actors in this film and, and Culp. They, they were was so, his... so good. That guy, Ian Trigger, who played the, the oh, band. Ian Trigger. He was amazing. Yeah, he's passed away since, but he was a terrific, terrific little British actor. I think he went to the Royal Academy of Dramatic Arts or something. Yeah, did he throw? Was he the one that threw some of the Shakespeare into there? Yeah. Yes. Oh God, yeah. I figured that he was. Yeah, I oh, mean, that was, he was a brilliant little so actor, cool. man. He was and then, cool. and then Culp's Culp's thing with his hands, you know, the Doom's hands, and oh, always yeah. he was so good with all that. With the, the clinky to the fingers and stuff, this is well, awesome. You know, because he he had to make up for the fact that he had no facial expression to right. tell the audience what he was thinking and feeling. So it was all the the mime of his it hands worked. and it, all that stuff that he had to do with his this and that and this and this. I mean, that's worked. what made it. He was fucking brilliant. But you know, going back to your set for the lair, yeah, of the mole man. That I remember, if, if I recall, you had some drawings done, and. And Mick said, what would, wouldn't it be cool because it's the mole man and it's underground that it could be, feel like it's it's like a bottomless pit underground. Or maybe those were tunnels or something, something that was organic and congruent to the fact that it was a mole man. And so sure enough, though, all those little decks and things that you built in that old lumberyard warehouse <laughs> looked so cool, man. And we did that one visual effect where the dude gets shot by Dr. Doom and he falls. Falls out, right? <laughs> and, and and just psychologically, even though we're not seeing the vastness of, of a space like you see in the big movies, that, that was enough to put that in the audience's mind that this was has a vast a vastness to it and a space that was subconsciously in their mind. Once you established it, I mean, look, let's face it, in the big James Bond movies, you would go to the big major sets that they had, the villains would have on all these places. You see them two or three seconds or four seconds on the screen. Right. You're in the environment. Then you go into the close-ups of James Bond and the fights and all that stuff. So subconsciously, you, you establish that, that environment in the audience's mind with that one shot of him falling into that bottomless pit. And it just and here we were in a little tiny shithole <laughs> lumberyard warehouse. That was, that that was the like smallest, vast cavernous space. It was just, it was fucking brilliant, man. And 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 we we actually only had one angle that we could shoot in that room. Remember, the room was so narrow. The room yeah. was so narrow, and it was like just a little tiny room. And we just kind of took the set and just put it all across fifty percent of the room. Yeah. <laughs> you it barely so had it. Was so yeah. well done, brother. The entrance uh, that it's so dramatic when Doctor Doom comes in through that entrance, and the the way it was built, and the way we could light it, it, it man, and all those t yeah, t old TV sets on post and and little cubby holes where these guys were hiding. <laughs> yeah, I thought the TV just, sets really were, were kind of cool. I thought I, I thought it came out good. Well, yeah. it was great because then we could sh we we shot them all out with. Uh, the the the, uh, the the gun guys brought those air guns in there with pellets and those those uh, bearings and we we blasted them man so it, we had so it gave us an element that we could use for some kind of you know visual action you know and destruction or something it was it's just heightened all that it was oh. well you know what you might as well have a good time because we certainly weren't making any money I was about to say <laughs> yeah. I mean. I can imagine. Were you making anything at all much, or is this one of those really, 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 really take the job you need the job at the moment? That's probably. 
I mean, I don't even I, know. I mean, with because nobody was getting paid a lot. No, it, and it wasn't for very. You know what? The only thing that I remember this is it is it. It was in between two big projects for me. I think it was a Nightmare on Elm Street on one side and Mortal Kombat on the other, or something. No, no, it's um. Oh, it was. Leatherface or anyway, I, I can't remember, but it was in between two projects and I couldn't go on to something that was going to be normal distance, normal right. length, because I was waiting for, I, I think I'm sure that combats uh, thing. Cause I was talking to them yeah. and, and so I only had until the end of the year plus, you know, a couple weeks anyway. Right. So, um, right. And, and, and here's the, here's the other funny thing. And this is hilarious is that, we had to remember we had to film half the film right remember so we had to have half the film in the can by the new year and we and we made it four days so so we made it on like literally the third the uh 31st of the year and then we all took four days off (laughs) now before we left i was going i was walking around on the sets to make sure that everything that there were you know like uh, do not cross uh, tape and you know hot set and and you know to lock all the to lock this the um, stage <laughs> stage right. up and and when I did I went into the the mole man's set and I was <laughs> going over to log out and there's a there's an old man this is this is me at this was me at 30 years old. There was an old man <laughs> sitting in a chair with a notepad in front of him, just looking around at the set and ta- it making notes. And I so and, and I ignored him. Like you usually ignore people that are just odd that are sitting on say, I mean, I wouldn't even think about it. I went over and I and I'm about ready to turn the lights off on the stage and I, I go, well, I better go ask and see what his thing is. <laughs> I went up and I said, um, I'm walking up. Um, I, I think you're going to have to go. And he said, oh, that, that's okay. I, I know where everything is. I'll, I'll, I'll turn the lights off and stuff. And then there was like, like that awkward moment. I go, well, well, who are you? And he goes, oh, hi, my name's Roger Corman. <laughs> and, he, and he shakes my hand. And I go, well, what, do, what are you doing? And he goes, well, I really like this set. And I'm going to write... Uh, another picture into it <laughs> and i go oh well that's cool and i didn't even think about <laughs> it again until i leave come back in four days i think it was four days right we took a four-day break hiatus we come back in four days everything has been repainted everything has been moved around everybody they have my concept that somebody in hollywood could cross a hot set tape <laughs> And so in those four days, they filmed another entire movie on all those sets. Now, Mick, you've told us this story before. Have you ever found out what the other movie Uh, was? I don't know. The thing is, is most of their movies at the time were released. Like, like if you saw somebody that had in their resume that they had, if they had like 20 uh, films within a period of six months, then you knew that those 20 films that they had to have been working with Roger Corman. (laughs) So, so uh, there's just no way to tell because they, they just did stuff and it was all would be distributed uh, in other countries. So I have no idea what it was. Somebody told me that somebody told me that it was like the eighth or ninth American Ninja there's a, a he he had a series that was called the American Ninja, but I don't think any of them have ever been released here in America. Yeah, he had the, <laughs> in America, he had the blood the Blood Fist series. Oh yeah, yeah yeah. Because <clears throat> I, I I that was my first film that I did for Roger Corman was the 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 uh, Force to Fight with Don the Dragon Wilson. Um, How long was But you also scared? we had had um, um, Shaft. Um, oh God! Richard Roundtree. Richard Roundtree. Right. Oh, okay. And the movie turned out. I, I was surprised, man. Here was this prison film that we did, um, and eighteen day shoot in Lincoln Heights Jail, and the movie was the script was w- well written. The, the film did really well, and 
I'll be damned if we didn't get a good review in Variety for <laughs> a, a Roger Corman movie. But Richard Roundtree was brilliant. But I, I don't want to digress. But anyway, that that uh, that was Roger's mo. Man, he would like when the when the L.A. riots were happening, he sent camera crews out so we could have some good stock footage for one of his <laughs> for one of his movies. I, I'm not kidding. No, I believe you. I mean, we've heard the stories, but I just never knew that he did it for the L.A. riots. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They used to. Sh- they used to. Uh, I remember during our filming that they uh, uh, a rocket went up from Vandenberg, and you would always see them uh, if they went off in the late afternoon. That they'd make this amazing rocket trail and stuff. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and everybody yeah. had had turned all the cameras <laughs> up towards that so that they could get stock footage of that. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Quick, come outside. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god it's 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 funny that you mention the fact that all those movies that that were that he was shooting at the same time because that's kind of like one of the the main stories of my childhood in relation to this fantastic four movie so my brothers would usually be the ones to pick every weekend we'd always watch movies that was our we, we lived out in the boondocks we had no we had no social interactions with anybody. He still doesn't have any social interactions. Still don't. With <laughs> so, you know, my my dad and my brothers would always go to the movie the 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 VHS rental store, bring home four or five movies to keep us entertained for the weekend so they didn't have to parent us. You for know? you kids out there, yeah, VHS was a plastic kind of cartridge thing. Is easy. Yeah. But, but with my brothers, the only movies they would ever bring back were from the action section. So it was always Don the Dragon Wilson, Billy Blanks, and Michael Dudikoff all weekend. Michael Dudikoff, I actually did a film with him. I know okay. you did. Okay. But <laughs> anyway, so um, my introduction to the Fantastic Four movie was every time my brother would come home, it would always be a New Horizon movie. Because, you know, it was uh, the oh, VHS right. clip for New Horizon was always a white with a, the orange logo and it said Horizons. No, uh, New, New Horizon. Horizon. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, right, right. So we'd watch these movies, and I would be every movie they'd come home, bring home, there would be that Fantastic Four trailer in front of it. I mean, every weekend, Fantastic Four, Fantastic Four, and I would, I eventually was able to go to the video store, and I remember once a month, for a solid year and a half, I would go to this video store and go, "Do you all have the new Fantastic Four movie yet?" (laughs) And every, you know, every every time they'd go, "No, sorry, we don't have it." I'm like, "Do you know when it's coming?" Please tell me. They're like, no, we have. They would look in their big magazine. And they're like, we know it's there because people keep asking for it. <laughs> oh wow! And well, you know, now, now here's the thing: is at that time, and 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 correct me if I'm wrong, but in that time, I think only Marvel film that had gotten the true, you know, everything treatment would have had to have been Batman, right? No, that was DC. That was DC Comics. It would be DC, Howard the Duck, DC wouldn't it? Comics. DC Comics. Oh, okay, no, DC Comics. Yeah. But, but Howard the Duck. I, I mean, Howard the Duck was the only major motion picture for Marvel. That was made off of a comic. Yeah, Howard I mean, if, Duck, you, right? if you talk, I mean, there was tons of low budget. No, no, Marvel no, no I comic. Mean, there were lots of low budget. Yeah, the Captain low, America low budget. low budget, the the Spider Man. I love the Captain America where his shield is clear. That's the one that yeah, stuck with me. Is that the one where he rides yeah. the motorcycle? Yeah, he rides the motorcycle and the shield is clear. But as yeah. far as Marvel goes, I mean, DC had had Superman and Batman, but as far as Marvel goes, the only one was Lucas's Howard the Duck. Yeah. Which was... Oh, really? And that, that, because I, I remembered that, you know, that the idea of it uh, is is trying to be a, a big thing. I was, think, you know, I was thinking at the time that it wasn't that unusual to not spend a lot of money on... No. On... Uh, I mean, at the yeah, time, at the no. time, other than the Fantastic Four movie, of course, not this little money. But right. <laughs> yeah, there was well, this know, one was in the works. You know what happened? Yeah, go in, ahead. In on. regards to in regards to the release, um, and and what we had found out, and and, uh, and and this is the only thing we could figure out was what happened, is you know Roger had a contract with Constantine Film to to shoot a film of the Fantastic Four by the end of that year. However, there was nothing in the contract about the distribution of the film. Right. So Roger had a film that I think, you know, everybody realized it turned out better than that they had thought. And there was nothing in the contract that said anything about him not being able to release the film. So Roger was smart enough to say, hey, guys, guess what? I'm going to release this movie. 
And Constantine Film and Marvel, uh, but rather Constantine Film, not Marvel, because they wanted it away from Constantine Film. But Marvel, too, I'm sure at that time, flipped out because they didn't want to see this movie get out. They, were, they, they wanted to bury this film from the get-go so they could go make the big movie. And Roger was smart enough, though, to say, hey, there's nothing in the contract that says I can't release this film. So therefore, he, he cut the trailer. Mm-hmm. We, we were going to release the film at the Mall of the Americas. And he oh, was, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Yeah, man. And he was running the trailer, like you said, on the on, on the front of other Corman films. He had the actual trailer ran in some theaters saying coming soon. And the only way that that Constantine film and these guys could get Roger not to release the film was to give him more money. Well, there- and they gave him, I think, what I heard from Roger, because he called me to thank me, um, <laughs> is that they paid him another million dollars cash to just not release the movie. Right. Huh. So Hollywood Hush had a call from Roger saying, you know, he calls me, you know, Roger has an interesting conversation the way he talks. He goes, Holy, hi, it's Roger. <laughs> I say, Hey, Roger, hi, how are you? He says, Well, I just want to say thank you so much for making a good film. Uh, unfortunately, we're not going to release the film, but they paid me a million dollars not to release the movie. And I'm waiting for the shoe to drop, like, meaning, like, like hey, you're gonna, means we're going to get a little more money. And here's your 20 bucks, right? <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, to this nothing. day, it's the only Roger Corman movie that never got a release because he releases everything. Yeah, I know. Everything yeah. he ever made got a release. And well, so they even made you know the what? poster, I, I, right? I just look, I, yeah, I, I had to laugh and and I hold nothing against Roger. He was just he was approached by those guys. That was the deal. He actually tried to release the film, but you know what? He took the money, and that was that. I think he would have made more than a million dollars, frankly, if, had he released the movie. But oh, I don't think there's any. You know, yeah, over time, especially because that's. I mean, well, yeah, because yeah. even later on, even if it hadn't been a huge hit later on, it still would have been. Well, this is the only one that's even close to the comics. You oh, would yeah. have heard it even more, right? Yeah, you'd have been well the low budget, but it's the only one that actually knew what it the has, Fantastic Four it was. It has the characters or, right. It right. has the interactions right. I actually will still argue you all got the thing right. That even though it was all, you know, yes. I, you know, oh. I wanted to mention that uh, the guys totally. who did the thing totally such a good job, uh, just an amazing. Oh yeah, they they did a they did a brilliant job with the thing, especially, and you know when we when we screened the film Doomed at at the Arrow Theater in Santa Monica, there was a it was a full house, and and. And not only just what I've read on the internet, because you, you get mixed reviews on the internet, but at least at that screening, there were, you know, kids, when I say kids, you know, 16 to 18 year old, you know, 14 year olds came up to us. We had a Q&A and just said how much they loved, not only loved the movie, but thought we're, we're not only true to the comics, but the thing they they everybody says the thing was designed, built and manufactured. Perfect the way it should have been. Yes. And this is the other thing that they did really wonderful with it. The fact that it's servo motors in a, in a rubber head. Right. They, talking it, to these guys and said, you know, the thing has to have two expressions. One is it's clobbering time. He's got to look like he's going to kick the shit out of somebody. <laughs> and the, and the other thing is that he's, he's like damaged goods. He's, he's, He's he's uh, he's got a soul that's really been been scarred, and he's and I and I mentioned the Elephant Man as an example. Right, that's a good and yeah. Sure enough, sure enough. Look what they did with a rubber face. Oh yeah. The guy can say it's clobbering time, and then when Alicia Masters goes up and touches the side of his face, he looks like he's about ready to burst out into tears, and it's a it, freaking rubber face. Yeah. <laughs> and, and of course, and, the body language that Carl. Carl, the the uh, Chiafalo, the our stunt guy who was wearing that suit, sweating his ass off every day. <laughs> Absolutely, his body language just just he just played it beautifully. So it was a combination of things. But yes, the thing costume to this day still is way better than what they did in the new ones. And, which and tried I th- to make him look stealthy, you know. And I think uh, Rebecca Strab um, standing in, in that blue suit was amazing. I mean, all by, oh, yeah. Oh, she looked great, man. <laughs> oh, she looked great. She, looked she did. She, 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 made that, she made that suit look amazing. Well, oh, I, yeah, she was great. I, I they think they we, all look great. They, they, you know, the energy from 
you know, from Jay Underwood for Johnny Storm. Oh, yeah. You know. Oh, it's it. it you got some performances good, out of them. You really did. Joseph Culp did a beautiful job. They all just, everybody did a great job, man. The I, actors just put their heart and soul in it. You I know, Michael the, Bailey Smith, who played the, who played Ben Grimm. Uh, they were just, oh, yeah. oh man. And I even, I even like the secondary characters, the, 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 the henchmen for um, the Mole Man. Those two guys were Those great. Those two guys were great. I mean, <laughs> they, they were, were really good. I kept I keep thinking of them as Linny and Squiggy. <laughs> yeah, you're right, man. They were really good. And you know, look, it it it, it is what it is. And I remember the the editor Glenn Garland and I were literally snooping around in the in the vault, which was just a storage room at the lumberyard, where Roger had the, all the cans of film stored from every one of his movies. Yeah, that, since I remember that. <laughs> all of them sitting right there, man. And Glenn and I went in there with flashlights, snooping around, looking for the negative of the Fantastic Four. We were going to literally steal the freaking negative and go get a film transfer. But by that time, they'd, they'd already taken it. And um, anyway. Well, you know, the, the, very, the very first thing I thought when this interview came up, I, I thought to myself, you know, is the uh, statue of limitations up? <laughs> I don't, yeah, I don't know, man. <laughs> well, if nothing else, there's a petition out there, people trying to get the, get them to release the film. And when I talked to Robert at Constantine, when I saw him within the last year, I said, "Dude, where's the negative? Why don't you guys do yourself a big favor and release the film?" And I said, "You know, you you throw in a million dollars or so to redo some of the visual effects." And yeah, release them, right. release them, like release them both side by side on one DVD. You yeah. know, the newer version with the updated visual effects, and the older version that was the original version with the, the way it was. See, that but would with, be awesome. Really, yeah, it would. They'd make a freaking fortune. I was man. gonna say, do a Kickstarter. You'll have fans that will pay the million dollars. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, sadly, I think that's that's really true. That'd be the great. I I mean, if you knew that at the end that you could actually get it done. You know, oh. they, that would make the best Kickstarter ever. It really oh, would. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. sadly, now it looks like it's own. It looks like now that's gone to the rights have gone to the mouse. So it's probably locked up in the same cellar as uh, Song of the South. Song of the South. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like the end of and Raiders it, of the Lost Ark. You know what? It's going to be seen just as often. Yeah. <laughs> you'll, you'll be asking about it only, and they'll, you'll, well, who's working on it? It'll be the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark. Top men. Top, top men are working. As, as the case goes yeah, right. into the mouse, only it's Mickey going, ha, <laughs> but you know the, the other part about this is right. even though that version was never officially released um the the version that was released killed the comic the the most recent movie marvel canceled the fantastic four after their last attempt to make oh, a yeah. movie and marvel allegedly the publisher was so upset that they went you know what they're actually damaging the characters we're just going to stop publishing it so there's not yeah, a, to my knowledge it, there's not they, a running they, fantastic they ruined a, a, a really just a real they ruined a great franchise man and uh, it's a shame but yeah not oh, to, well not to end it on a negative note but we're getting close to an hour i know you have a super bowl uh sorry he wants to have a super bowl <laughs> oh, party. Yeah, he, yeah. Wants, he needs to go watch his saints who got a defense this year <laughs> a football game. i love you hey, i love Bree who Drew that? Brees. look at that shirt i'm wearing brother i know i know <laughs> and we didn't even get to talk about the new zealand years and oh i i do want i've got to throw out one quick thing because i heard it i hope it's true I heard you played with Eric Clapton when you were doing the music video. Did you actually play yeah, with Eric I Clapton? I did jam with Eric Clapton. That was in London, yeah. Oh, oh, that is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I just had to confirm all that. All bow down. All bow down. Oh, no. <laughs> we on, do our research. On, we try our best. On his on his guitar, it was a... Uh, my baby's a 1968 Les Paul Sunburst. Like, you know, if you know what a, like the Jimmy Page guitar, you know, the, yeah. the Les Paul Sunburst. Yeah, I'm talking to Eric Clapton. We were shooting at the time at a place called the Royal Victoria Docks. Um, it was an old tobacco warehouse. And we're talking about guitars. And he's got the gunmetal strat on. And he sends his, his assistant to go out to the to the RV. And he comes back in with a, a, a 1960 mint condition Les Paul Sunburst. And I didn't want to I didn't want to touch it. 
<laughs> he opens the case up and he goes, and Eric Clapton grabs that guitar out of the case and goes, go on, mate, try it on. And, <laughs> dude, the next thing you know, I'm, I'm jamming with Clapton in the in this warehouse. And I'll tell you, the, the best memory of it all at that moment was I asked him to play that little guitar anthem sort of break in the Cream song, Badge. Oh, yeah. And, and he goes, oh, you mean this? Did you just go show off? <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. I was like, <laughs> all right. Oh, and on that note, we want to let you go to your Super Bowl party. So I have to thank Mick, first Free of all, Super for Bowl. making this connection. But thank you so much for coming on and sharing these stories. We'd love to have you back on because we want to talk about New Zealand. We want to talk about stuff other than just the Fantastic Four about the rest of your career. Right, working for the back? working for the mouse, doing well, a Disney. I'd, I'd love yeah. to come back, and and you know I got a couple projects in the works that I think we're going to get made, and okay, and uh, they're both uh, British-based projects. I'm working with a guy that was in a band back in the late '90s uh, uh, called The Chimes, and he was a, a record producer, produced albums for David Bowie and people like that, and. I'm working with him, and we've got these, they're really cool projects, and one of them is sort of like a lock stock and two smoking barrels, and, oh, right. and yeah. uh, anyway, yeah, I'd love to come back and talk to you guys anytime. Great. All right. Thank you. Thank you. This hey, is Ole, damn, it's so fine to see you, brother. Dude, <laughs> are, are you living in L.A. proper? Where are you? I'm up in Washington now. I, I live right next, down the street from my grandchildren. He has a really nice van that he goes around in, and he lives in the back of this van. He's solving mysteries. He tells side. me strangers have the best candy. <laughs> I, hang, I hang with my grandchildren. Oh, that's good, brother. Well, listen, man, the next time I head out west, uh, I'll just let you know, and who knows where, where you're going to be. And, and oh, it'd be so good to out. see you, brother. Okay, man. All right. All right. All right. Thank you, On behalf guys. of Bonehead and... Dream Warrior, and Dream Warrior, Dream Review. Warrior Review with Kurt Thomas and Mick Strong. Thank you all so much. This has been a hoot and a holler. We'll see you later. Thank you all. Yeah, thank, thank you. Guys. Thank you. Bye, you all. Bye. Bye. Now we gotta kill everything. I know. We'll start right now. Okay. Wasn't that a great episode? Look. <laughs> James choked on some honey roasted goodness in my pants. So, anyway, thank you so much, Ollie. It was fantastic. We loved it. Thank you so much, Mick. Thank you so much, Kurt Thomas. If you enjoyed that, please check us out on our website. Please go to YouTube. Please go to iTunes. We're at any time you can type in. You can actually go to Google and type in Bonehead Humor iTunes. Takes you right to our yeah. right to our iTunes account. Subscribe. Same thing with YouTube. Subscribe. Subscribe on YouTube, please. Recommend us. Email us uh, if you have a uh, a podcast station that you like. Let them know how much you like us. Suggest us to them. Thank you so much. What else did I forget? I don't know if you want to eat those. It's, it's like a death rattle. No. <laughs> it, see, what happened was it got lodged right about here. Now, then we don't really don't go into this Is there this anything else we need to say? No. We're gonna, no. Thank no. you. Tune into our next episode. Yeah. Follow us everywhere, please. And next episode's going to be movies that never happened. No, that's no. actually... That's, that's going to be the episode before this. You've screwed up this entire <laughs> Now we got to redo the whole thing. Oh, James, God. Shove more peanuts down your gut. No, we're not redoing this. I can't choke again. That wasn't scripted. I swear I thought that we were going to do it after. No, <laughs> no. we're ending this one with the pre. I'll, oh, I bit my tongue. I'll see. See what happens. Are you happy? Is this is our curse. Good God, we're never going to get this through. <laughs>